You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. To listen to previous episodes, visit thinkingcountry.com or find the podcast on iTunes by searching for Meet the Farmers. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Meet the Farmers. As it's lambing time, I can't stray too far away from home, so I've headed just down the road and it's another Essex farm and Essex-based episode today. I'm in Oldham near Colchester meeting Guy and Emily French of Fox's Farm Produce. Guy and Emily run a heavily diversified business focused on seasonal produce such as pumpkins and Christmas trees. They also have a corn maze and hold a farm mud run event in the summer. Guy and Emily, thank you for meeting me. This is your main sort of home site. I'm going to. I mean, we're, we're, we've been talking before. With there's actually quite a complicated system in terms. Of you've got various different sites. Just tell me about that. Yeah. So here we are at our main base, um, just outside Alden. This is where we run all of our operations from, uh, namely our wholesale pumpkins, our Christmas tree growing. Um, here we also have uh, our pumpkin patches, mud runs, corn mazes, and then we have another site down at Basildon where we run the same pumpkins, patches, uh, Christmas trees, corn maize and mud run as well. Emily, there's, yeah, I mean, just in that list, Guy's been saying, there's there's a, a huge amount going on here. How did it start? What did you start with and why? Guy started the business when he was back in university, growing a variety of fresh produce. Then we met through Young Farmers. Um, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah, no, the dating agency. <laughs> And actually, the only way I could ever see Guy in the evenings was to come and help him um, pick the produce. So we quickly decided that we needed to focus on one or two um, crops just because there was uh, too much going on. So we quickly decided on pumpkins due to the fact that they were lasting um, quite well in storage. And we could see the growing trend um, over from America that actually Halloween was going to become more popular. So we started off doing wholesale pumpkins as well as the Christmas trees. And then it was back in 2015 when we first opened our pumpkin patch, um, which was down in Basildon, actually. And that was purely just because there seemed to be a trend of a lot of people saying, oh, I wish I could pick my pumpkin from the field. Um, So we capitalised on that. And we've been growing and growing since then, really. Now, you're both from farming backgrounds. Did you both want to work on the land with the land in some way growing up or or, or were you thinking about doing other things? I'm actually a planning consultant as well as um, a farmer so we have to yeah so rural based um, but we have to diversify what we do because the core farms that we grew up in were both arable farms and arable on its own wasn't big enough for everybody to go on to so we've had to come up with our own ideas our own innovation I went to university, um, did a business administration degree and started working in London and then more locally um, in human resources department. And it only was when I started doing the wholesale pumpkins as well. I would say in my spare time, but I was having no spare time. So I was doing almost 24 hour working days that then we decided that I needed to focus on the business full time. But it is it has been the best decision I've made. I love working on our business on the farm, being outside, every day is different. It's great. But I'm assuming that in that previous experience is partly critical to your success. Yes, I, yeah, and actually the year I gave up my other job 
was the year that I managed to secure deals with the co-op um, so that we supply them and really took the business to another level in terms of what I could do in terms of the marketing, all the accounting and all the back office jobs. I know, I know this area pretty well because it's just down the road. <laughs> but for the benefit of listeners, why, Emily, is this a good place to set up a business that's focused mainly on direct sales events that kind of thing i think it's purely just the people um it's really nice area here because it is rural but it's also full of people and they want to come to the farm see what's around everyone's interested in what's going on there's you know good links to london so we actually have some visitors from london who come visit the pumpkin patches who they do the mud run um so i think it's just the good access links you know we're just off the a12 i think we're in a very fortunate area in essex in terms of population density um, and that's been the success of our diversified enterprises. What works well for us here, we're lucky because we're unique with populations. So. Yeah. And do you find with, say, people who come and buy your pumpkins, will they come and return by your Christmas trees? Or are you looking at different, different people for each? Generally, yes, but people won't travel as far for Christmas trees, we found. Okay. Um, because there's different type of competition at Christmas time with garden centres, other farm attractions and other children-based attra- attractions. But the market is definitely growing towards experiences rather than just buying the product. So a bit that's how we try and offer our pumpkin patches. You're not just buying a pumpkin, you're learning about the varieties, you're walking over the farm, you're going through the corn maze, you're, you're doing other things with an experience, and the mud runs are an experience as well, um, and Christmas trees, you know, where customers can come and get, have an experience with it is where, where the market's growing towards, in my opinion. So you're supplying co-op, that move into supermarkets, how was that as an experience in terms of setting up that relationship? How easy was it and what's it like now? So we were lucky when we started our relationship with the co-op in that they are very keen on local suppliers. So they were keen to develop a relationship with us and we then worked with them very closely. They came to the farm and they liked the fact that we were so local to um, to them and we actually were quite a good supplier of them because we supplied the Suffolk stores as well. I also think that actually with the co-op, they worked with us if there was a problem. So the first year we did it, we did our own distribution to them and it just didn't work because we didn't have the logistics to fit their system. We were running a palletised system of pumpkins and they wanted them individually on trolleys and things like that. So we actually met with them the next year, told them what our problems were and how we couldn't really make it work from our side and they worked with a solution for us so whereby they would start collecting from us, they'd be dropping the cages off on return loads and then it worked, you know, like clockwork on both sides. You mentioned starting with, with logistics there. In terms of challenges that you faced, problems along the way, what have, what have some of the big, bigger challenges been? From my point of view, the the pumpkin wholesale logistics is something that I constantly deal with on a daily basis in terms of when the order comes into me I have to make sure that I put it on the right system for the distribution company to come to the farm collect it make sure guy knows exactly what the order is so that he loads the right bins then it gets sent off it's yeah I think we streamlined it quite a bit now sort of learning from experience <laughs> really so it's funny um, how, how you have to you have to work on the bottom and make all the mistakes mm, before it yeah. moves on so we have obviously that we can distribute them all over the UK which we can and that goes out on a pallet network but the problems we were finding that Emily was touching on 
is actually we were having to load lots of little lorries for lots of independent orders, whereas we actually worked with the lorry company who effectively take Arctic loads at a time and then they sort and distribute from their end. So that just makes it a little bit easier in terms of logistics of loading and things like that. Um, other logistic problems is the distance between our sites as well. So different crops need different attention at different times. Sometimes we're not in the right place at the right time. They've got different challenges, different soil types, different nutrients, different indices, um, different soil temperatures, which is all quite important for pumpkins. So there's a challenge between the soil types on those two sites as well, because they're, they're, they're very different sites. Um, but they command different markets. So the further south you go in Essex, the higher the population density, so the more cropping we need. But generally yields are lower down in South Essex because of the soil types, and it's harder to grow a vegetable crop on a heavier soil type. Staffing-wise, I, I imagine that this is quite seasonal in terms of staff requirements. How do you go about finding staff? And perhaps going into this year in particular, are you foreseeing challenges and any issues ahead? It's funny you mention that because Emily said that to me last night. <laughs> <laughs> we have um, self-employed labour that helps us on the farm and that works really well. That generally tends to take a lot of the tractor work away from us that so we're working on the business. In terms of other help, we'll have a part-time office help as well. Um, we're looking to take on more help temporarily during the pumpkin season in the office. On our events, we employ quite a lot of people. We can employ up to 30 people during the season. Yeah. Um, and that works on a rotor-based system, depending on how busy the site is. And then when we're harvesting pumpkins and Christmas trees, we use a recruitment agency. They're based in Ipswich. They're really good. They give us good labour, and we rely on that to do to harvest our crops. We also do, as you know, Guy and I started the business together, our families are heavily invested in it, and they like to see it doing well and succeeding so they do kindly offer offer their help don't they when we need them to yeah. <laughs> so we've just gone around the corner and there is a wonderful field full of daffodils tell me about this so not everything works in terms of our diversification you've got to try something so actually the daffodils i was really impressed with we did a lot of research we researched it for about a year um, the co-op offered to take them off us, so we knew we had a ready market for them. Um, and we thought, right, let's grow some daffodils. We did loads of research. In my opinion, grew a really good crop of daffodils. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, we just found that with daffodils, there's a price point in terms of economies of scale. Yep. So they're a cheap product to sell on. The retailer needs to make a profit on them. It's all about scale, yeah. and us as small producers couldn't compete with scale. It doesn't work. So we're very good that if something doesn't work, we knock it on the head straight away. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. what we did. But yeah, the daffodils are still here, looking great. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they do look really good. Um, certainly brightens up, brightens up the landscape. So the model that you have at the moment, in terms of pumpkins, Christmas trees, the mud run, and maize maize, are you fairly happy with that as a, as a structure? Do, 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 you, do you see trying anything else new? Um, or you reckon you'll stick with that for, for the time being? Well, uh, so far what we've been doing is trying to, to do one new thing a year okay. um, maximum just because we found that we take a lot of time to research everything and make sure that what we're going to do, fingers crossed, you know, hopefully should work. Um, and if you do too, try to do too many things at once, we just found that our mind wasn't really structured on it. What? What you'll find is a lot of the enterprises link together. So 
you know, our direct retail, it tends to link together. So we'll try and cross over and work off the back of that. How can we target our customers again? So using the mud runners as an example, our pumpkin Christmas tree customers, they were targeted for the mud runners, another direct event. Yeah. If we did another direct event again, we would focus on, on that. So we're not branching too far away, although it might be a different angle in terms of enterprise. Um, we'll try and use our existing customer base where we can like that and promote events to them. Um, in terms of other crops, we tried lots of crops. So when I started, I tried lots of different veg crops and stuff. And really, again, comes back to the daffodil argument of economies of scale and pinch point. Christmas trees, I imagine, because they're a, a long-term crop, what is the, what's the amount of time between establishment um, and actually commercial reality in terms of being able to actually get something in? Um, get something in cash-wise. So yeah, they grow about a foot a year on average. Um, so they're in a. It will take about six years to get our first cut, and then we'll finish the plantation in in the tenth year. So it's a four-year harvest, and then we would recrop the plantation afterwards with an arable crop for a couple of years. Uh, bring the soil indices up in terms of nutrients, applying compost, um, weed control through that arable crop, ready for the next Christmas tree crop to go in again after. Remind me of the acreage that you're growing now and how that's changed um, changed since you began. So we're growing about 30 acres of Christmas trees. We started with three acres and, and year on year um, over that 10 year period, we've basically been planting on average about three acres a year. We've actually changed the business model with the Christmas trees slightly in that we're trying to put more trees growing at our retail sites, which saves on our logistics for distribution, haulage to the retail sites and it actually gives us a growing crop at the retail site for the customer to see or choose. We were talking before we started recording about pruning. How intensive is management other than, yeah, I mean, pruning is one, one aspect. How, yeah. how intensive is management in terms of meeting those specs? The plantation works at about a third premium, a third standard grade and a third third grade. The premium grade are your best ones, the standard grade are your mid-range ones and your third grade are the ones that you can't really sell. So you're always trying to bring up the premium grade where you can, and that's all through management of pruning, but there's a lot of maintenance to them. We will be spraying them during the season, every three or four weeks for aphids, yep. foliar feeds. Um, we'll fertilize them twice a year, which helps with greening and keeping them green to make sure that they're not yellow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> People don't want a yellow Christmas tree. Um, and then there's other management like pruning, bud rubbing, leader control so that they don't get too spindly. But I'll probably just show you those bits when we go into the field because it'll be clearer. Yeah. So the trees that we are just walking past now, what age are these? These were planted in 2011 over there and 2012 here. Okay. So, and we've, we started cutting the 2012 plantation this year. And they're all um, Nordman fir Christmas trees, which is the most popular one. Um, but they're slower growing than the spruce trees. But one thing that always amazes me about Christmas trees is that we can pick what we believe to be the perfect trees in the, far, um, in the field and then a tree that you think, oh, I'm not sure about that one, it will probably be the first one to go yeah, from the yeah. retail site. <laughs> it's always funny what people actually want. Yeah, what people it. think of as the perfect Christmas tree is Character. totally different. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the major disease issues with, with Christmas trees? Uh, we have something called current season needle narcosis, mm. um, which uh, effectively makes all the needles fall off the tree. That's quite a big thing. Not ideal. Nationally, so <laughs> that's not ideal. 
the other thing is rust really on the needles as well. Um, the main issue is aphids, which obviously disease the trees as well. So that doesn't help. And something called rust mite on the Nordman fir as well. But they can all be controlled um, agronomically as we need to. We're obviously always trying to aim for high ladybird numbers in the plantations. Obviously you are both incredibly busy people, but what, what, what do you get up to away from farming? Uh, luckily enough, we have a um, one-and-a-half-year-old little boy, so I get to spend lots of time with him, and at the weekends we try and prize Guy away for one day so that we can do something family-orientated, like normal <laughs> things like go to the zoo I know or the struggle. I know fun. The struggle. <laughs> <laughs> David, David, who works for us um, on the farm, he worked for us all through winter, and that's his first winter with us. And he said to me, what, what are you going to be doing on a pumpkin farm in January, February? And he said to me that we were busier than most arable farms that he'd yeah. worked on before. So. <laughs> I can well believe it. It's, uh, yeah, one th and one thing I was going to say is that because our harvest comes after everyone else's harvest, or, you know, the typical har farming arable harvest, that we find that lots of our friends in the farming communities all then suddenly start having parties and <laughs> yeah, barbecues yeah. and we're the ones that can never the, go. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> but luckily our friends are all very... But interestingly, what's caring. not um, probably that well known is we'll start a pumpkin harvest middle of August, so along with the arable harvest, we'll start pumpkin harvesting right through till yep. sort of start of October and then October's distribution. November's then Christmas tree harvest and setting up the retail sites. December's obviously selling them. Um, and then after that, it's clearing up, maintaining all the machinery. And then during the spring, we're doing all the land work for next year. And because we're quite spread out, it's not as quick as doing it in one big field. It's yeah. lots of fields in lots of places. So it takes quite a bit of time to get around it. Is Halloween as a, I'm going to use the American term, holiday? Is, it, is, is Halloween growing more? And is, is that having an impact on you? Uh, def in the, in the def UK? Definitely, it's a growing market. People love Halloween. I was brought up when I was younger, we didn't do anything for Halloween. We carved a pumpkin, we didn't go trick-or-treating or anything. Whereas people are loving the experience of going pumpkin picking. They dress up in their Halloween costumes. It's a real event and it's definitely something that I would say... Uh, you know, more people now than ever are celebrating and they really are getting into the to the fun of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so pumpkins, uh, let's talk growing pumpkins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How are you drilling them? What yep. spacing are you doing? Yep. Some, some of the basic agronomy behind growing a pumpkin. I think I've, I've only ever grown a few in my garden. That's about, <laughs> I can't even think about doing it on a field scale. Well, that's where we started. So trialling out some in the garden like that. Um, yeah, we've learned a lot, and like I said earlier, you know, we've made mistakes, we've trialled with different experiences, um, but effectively we are working the soil in the spring to get it fine enough to enable us to drill if there's any drought periods. It's quite common in May when we drill them to actually have no rainfall for four, six weeks beforehand. So I can't imagine what it was like last year. Yeah, so you've got to work a system that gets the seedbed fine enough in time for drilling, otherwise you could end up with a cloddy field and then that's not going to do the pumpkins any favours. You've got to get the soil temperature right um, to make sure it's warm enough uh, so that they, they grow quickly. Your soil indices and nutrients are important, so we've experimented between liquid fertiliser and granular fertiliser, the liquid being more available to the plant. Um, but last year, I think when it was too dry, the liquid didn't actually benefit the crop because it, it wasn't mobile enough in the store for it. Uh, so yeah, we'll plant them in May 
and we will spray them with a, an agronomy program, um, mainly protecting against uh, powdery mildew, aphids and weeds. We'll uh, run a hoe through them in terms of weed control. And if you've got a good growing season, they'll be away. They're quite drought tolerant um, in terms of they're very deep rooting. But last year that was a real test. <laughs> and um, I did wonder whether it was ever going to rain. And it's all quickly forgotten after. But at the time it, it, was, uh, it was a little bit concerning. Um, and then we will start harvesting, yeah, like I say, middle of August through till end of September. Um, and then it goes straight back into an arable rotation after. Yeah. So, you know, first wheat or whatever goes in behind it. In terms of spacing, we've actually modified our system. The wider the spacing, the bigger the pumpkins in theory, but we know what size we want for our markets. So we try and use the right varieties and the right spacing to hit our size. And we're effectively on 1.2 meter wide rows, which also fits our Christmas tree system, which is on 1.2 okay. meter wide rows. So then all the, all, the yeah. all the equipment crosses over between the two enterprises. We could probably get away with 90 centimetres to a metre spacing on pumpkins, but actually it's more important that we can cross-use all that equipment um, and rent a little bit more land to get our yield is fine with us. So. And how many varieties have you had to try before you've sent it on what works? Yeah, lots. Um, so the pumpkin patch varieties are very different to the wholesale varieties. Mm -hmm. Wholesale, we're going purely for orange pumpkins and bulk and maximum yield and maximum storage capability. Um, whereas in the pumpkin patches, we're going for the wackiest colors, the wackiest <laughs> sizes and things It's one like of that. my favorite jobs. I get to go choose all the pumpkins that we have um, in the patches because I go for yeah, different colors. I go for kind of warty ones, yeah. ones that look like swans, ones that are yeah. flat. I think it's the amazing thing about that, that, that sort of whole squash family, isn't it? The, oh, the, I love the it. variety <laughs> literally is, mm. um, yeah. It's and the fact that most of them can be cooked as well mm. and are tasty. So we do do That's a good. lot of different ones. It's a good sign of autumn, though, pumpkins. When you see the colors in the yeah. field, it's really That's rewarding right. to walk around what is a brown ploughed field now. Yeah. And then you come September time and it's colours and we've got the maze in the background and it looks really rewarding at that time of year. Yeah. So. Do you find people who come and buying direct off you will be buying pumpkins to eat? I think or, it's or becoming, asking about asking they, about eating them. Yeah, they're asking about eating them a lot more. So we um, grow a pumpkin called a Crown Prince, which is a grey um, squash with bright orange flesh, and it is one of the best pumpkins to eat. And people are often—I mean, some people do carve it because it makes a great ghost pumpkin, but lots of people do take that to eat. Um, and they're asking lots more for recipes, pumpkins, you know, soup and pasta. And we are, de I'm definitely thinking it's, it's more of a trend. I mean, I follow people like Deliciously Ella and all of her healthy recipes. They use so much squash and pumpkin that I think people are trying to find it and loving the fact that they can actually go and pick up a spaghetti squash and use that instead of actual pasta. I think in the supermarkets, though, the squash is not that well known because we were going to trial our different squash mm. varieties with the co-op. And their feedback initially was actually people just, we tried it before, people just don't understand what the crop is and what they could do with the crop last year we did actually trial some different varieties with them but it's it's a constant introducing market and you notice yourself when you're walking around the shops and the supermarkets there's a very small product line mm. compared to something like courgettes or yeah. green beans or sweet corn which are say much more popular and easy to take off the shelves i often ask this question um 
Emily like can be a hard question. In this. No, no, no. Emily can answer. Um, yeah, it's, uh, like, it's Brexit. Uh, I've already said that. <laughs> what, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Because, I mean, a lot of people would look at this and think, this is a huge amount of hard work. It's incredibly rewarding. And my goodness, I'm just, just looking around this field now, um, you could just you just know, especially I'm, I'm thinking back to our, our own sea buckthorn crop um, at home um, and the time and the hours and the care and the effort that goes into yeah. all of it. But once you've built something, it is, it is the most rewarding thing. But on, on a day-to-day basis, what do you love about the job? I like being my own boss. I like the adventure and the exploring, the new ideas. We're always building on things. And you think back to a few years ago, you thought, God, if the business ever got to this scale, I'd be really content. And then it gets past that and you think, wow, <laughs> OK. And so you just keep yeah, looking at more and more ideas, ways to add value. I'm always looking at ways to simplify things and make things more efficient to make sure it's working for us, which we've only learned through experience, really, and doing it. I love the fact that we are seasonal. So now is... Um a bit of a downtime but come October the adrenaline is insane and especially I love the people facing parts of the role so that's why I do all the customer sales etc and when you walk around the patches which I do every day when they're open if I'm not actually working on site I you the feedback you hear the families it's it's unbelievable it's it's amazing we try and use the pumpkin patches to educate um, the children about pumpkins, about the farm. So we have lots of boards up about, you know, pumpkins are grown this way, um, corn is grown this way. And I just think it's, it's amazing the feedback and the fact that, that people love it so much. And it is also a bonus that, you know, we do get to work together, which does have its benefits and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you do you work well together? <laughs> yeah, we're all right actually. <laughs> it's better. It's better, I think, than people think it could be. Yeah. Um, you know, we're lucky that we have, you know, a po- different skill sets exactly. which complement each other. The annoying thing I would say is that Guy's not very good at switching off. So even when you go on a holiday, if you've got like a five hour drive somewhere, I know that the first thing he says when he gets in the car <laughs> is, right, we've got five hours together, let's have a business meeting. <laughs> Whereas I'm thinking let's whack open the Harry bow and relax. <laughs> Just to get away finally. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got different skills and I think that's where we complement on each other. Emily's better with sort of marketing sales people customer facing i'm better at sort of the technical detail the agronomy the farming and that side of things and the planning aren't mm. i and strategy yeah. i wasn't actually recording it when, when you were talking about it but when, when you were i thought this is really really good so i want to talk about it now um <laughs> guy you were talking about as the younger generation within ag and how perhaps the situation is is different now for certainly for startups and perhaps for adapting existing businesses as well why do you think that is and what advice based on both of your experience so far could you give to to someone who's thinking about entering the sector what what, what should they be looking out for so yeah just going back to yeah what we were speaking about earlier was it was the high barriers to entry through capital investment based in terms of agricultural machinery um, access to farmland so we were using an example that if you wanted to farm 250 acres of land then you'd have to have two and a half million pounds in the bank or finance to two and a half million to be able to go and get that so the younger entrants are I think in my opinion very innovative I think uh, everyone's very positive 
but I think you have to think differently and more dynamically. So you're finding things like contract farming agreements, share farming agreements, machinery sharing opportunities um, and diversification. I mean, our entry into farming has been through diversification. Um, really, we couldn't have got into farming if we just wanted to go and set up an arable farm. We had to diversify and find these niche crops. Um, and you have to have the passion for what you're doing. We had a huge amount of passion for pumpkins and Christmas trees. So we've made a lot of mistakes at the start. We still make mistakes now, but there's a positives that come out of those mistakes to get the business to where it is now. And I think you have to believe in what you're going to do. And once you've found that niche, but you do have to try a few things to get there. Um, but when we started, we would just borrow machinery and then we would possibly rent some machinery at times during seasons and then eventually the business gets to a scale where we can then buy our own machinery. Um, and we do very much look at it on a business case now where if we need to rent additional equipment, we rent it at certain times. Um, and it's all about having that business plan to making sure it works, I think, would you say, Em? It's yes, I, I would agree with that. Like you said about the passion, that's one thing that we are totally switched on we know all about i mean i know as much about pumpkins as you do but we're also very um aware of our costs and the the markets that we go into so using daffodils in it, as an example we thought there was a market yeah. we went into it we knew what we were in for when we went into it and we were happy if it went wrong we were comfortable with that and using that as an example we realized very quickly what the problem was it was the price pinch point in terms of where those daffodils could get sold retail um, and we realized very quickly that rather than c continue to pursue that it just wasn't going to work so we stopped it we didn't try and follow it when we knew it wasn't working but then that is a bit of a contrast to the pumpkins when I said to Emily two or three years in we'll stop it but you know it was all about just trying to think well how can we do things differently and that's how the pick your own came along yeah. which then helped the investment in the wholesale to then make the wholesale work but some of that was a bit of luck but it was believing in that product for a little time before we went through to it and I'm not saying that everybody has to go into a diversified enterprise as a younger entrant but I think you have to think of something different whether it be contracting um, and doing something in addition as well as working with something so like I say you know I worked as a planning consultant doing this alongside it so I had to find other income streams to make it work it didn't just sort of start from its own two feet um, and be self-sufficient on its own to start with it did over time but not to start with now I, I should have warned you about this that there's a, a relatively new thing on the podcast called the one minute soapbox which gives <laughs> gives guests an opportunity to speak for one minute about a subject of their choice. Um, that could be anything, that could be farming related. Um, it could be Christmas related. It could be pumpkin related. It could be non-farming. It could be a cause or concern that you're passionate about. It could be Brexit. Emily well, could talk for an hour on um, But hopefully not Brexit. <laughs> definitely not Brexit for me. <laughs> I thought you might ask a Brexit question. I'd no, want to be pre-warned guys. No, Bre if with, it's a Brexit question, With nine days again. to go until until Brexit oh, day, I'm, I'm purposefully avoiding the yeah. question because it's definitely not something I want to think about right now. But yeah, so it's a one minute uh, to talk on a subject of your choice. So I'm going to be talking about moving from a corporate world into the agricultural self-employed world. Very nice. Your one minute starts now. 
Okay, so when I um, work for a corporate company, it's very different. You've got people around you all the time, lots of tea breaks, um, and you have to do things as someone tells you to. When I moved to work for our business on your own, there were some things that um, were totally new to me, um, and some things have made me get better, I suppose, by doing the corporate world fair. So I've brought in things like SOPS guides, um, event management plans, um, and just a better way of doing things properly. Um, but the things that were alien to me, I suppose, were the fact that I had to learn a business totally from new, such as chemical names, um, what the different crops were called, and how we used the different machinery for what. 15 seconds. Oh. <laughs> but there, there were some... Um, some totally changes like when you speak to different suppliers now I'm totally confident with them I know what I'm talking about when I go to places like Three, Pan Anglia two, <laughs> when I didn't one. before that was super <laughs> well done Girl, Pan Anglia thank you I don't know why I didn't thought <laughs> thank of you for being such a good sport <laughs> Guy and Emily, thank you so much for having me today and Thanks, letting me have a, have a look round. Um, I wish you the absolute best for the year ahead, <laughs> all your various ventures. And I know, yeah, I know, I know that you're, you're going to do bright things ahead. So thank you very much. Thanks, man. Guy and Emily French on their farm near Colchester. Next time, I'll be speaking to the chair of Causton Press, entrepreneur and Suffolk organic farmer, William Kendall. I hope you can join me for that. In the meantime, you can catch all previous episodes at thinkingcountry.com or the last 10 episodes on iTunes where you can also subscribe to the podcast. For now, though, have a great day and I'll catch you soon on Meet the Farmers. Mm-hmm.